So this morning, we're starting our series on further now. We've done closer, we've done deeper, and now we're going to look at what it means to be going further with God. I'm being a bit dazzled, so I'm just going to move a a fraction. Is that any better? Yes, that's a bit better. Okay, I can't see many of you, but that's fine. So I hope you're going to appreciate what I've brought this morning. I really have felt this message on my heart for some time, so I'm actually quite relieved to download it today. (laughs) So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much um, that we can walk with you in every aspect of our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you take us just as we are, and then you go on and do amazing stuff with us. We really thank you for that. And Lord, as we come to look at your word this morning... I really pray, Lord, that it would make an impression, not just in our heads, but on our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen. My parents gave me much advice when I was growing up. My mum in particular, she has a lot of opinions. She's quite a strong-minded lady. And um, when I got to be married, she said to me, Wendy, don't let yourself go. And then she said to me when I started to have children, Wendy, don't let yourself go. And what she meant was that I am not to allow my appearance to go down the plug hole just because I'm really, really busy and have far too much to do. And uh, my mum was a hairdresser, very, very different person to me, but her words rang in my ears. So even when I was shattered after a really long day of grappling with two small children, there's only 20 months between my children, so some of it was quite hard work, I would still do my hair, put my makeup on, try and find something reasonably attractive to wear. (laughs) But this morning, I want to reverse those words. I want to say my message this morning is let yourself go. Let yourself go. Because if we're going to go further with God, the main thing that might stop us is our self, our ego, that thing that we work so hard to keep intact, that thing which we nurture and we look after and we try and make out that we are okay that thing has to go. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's quite a huge statement, isn't it? And yet there's something in us that wants to say, but we can, we can do something. I've got this gift, that gift, I can do the other. I've learned this. I've got something to bring. What about me? What about me? What will happen to me if I give my whole self to God and hold nothing back? What will happen? (gasps) That's a scary thought. But what God needs is for us to lean back into him and to trust him for everything, that he will take the weight and the burdens and he will do something in us and with us which is more amazing than we could ever even think of in our own minds and our own strength. And we don't need to despair because the Bible is full of people who started off with quite big egos and then God had to strip stuff away bit by bit until he could make them really amazing people. So this morning, I want to look at the life of the Apostle Peter. 
and see what we can learn from him. Because he had to learn this lesson. And we have so much we can find out about him. His name was Simon originally. I thought that was a perfectly suitable name. It just means hearing in Aramaic, Simeon. But he, he came to Jesus and Jesus gave him a different name. He called him Cephas or Peter as we call it now. And that means a stone or a rock. His brother Andrew was the one to bring him to Jesus. Actually, Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And one day he heard John the Baptist say, that guy over there, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew's ears pricked up and he thought, I need to go after that man now. So he started to um, follow Jesus and then he thought, I'll go and fetch my brother. So he went to fetch his brother, Simon, and he said, come on, we've found someone. You need to meet him. He's the Messiah. He's Christ. So Jesus took one look at Simon and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, rock, strong person. Peter was anything but strong at that point. He was just an amazing fisherman, worked in the family business with Andrew under his dad, John, or Jonas, as you, whichever you want to call him. And he has some mates called um, the Sons of Zebedee. They kind of were in business together, and they were great fishermen, and they sold their fish at the family markets. Perfectly ordinary people. But all four, James and John, Peter and Andrew, all left the family business to follow Jesus. And this is how it happened. They'd had a really bad night fishing. They'd got back. There was nothing in their nets, not one fish. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and started cleaning the nets, getting them ready for the next fish. And Jesus comes along the beach and suddenly, like this whole crowd followed him, and they were pressing on to him to kind of hear what he had to say because they were so excited with his message. And Jesus is backing further and further towards the sea, and the crowd's pressing on. And he says, oh, guys, would you mind if I just borrow your boat for a moment? And Peter said, yeah, I'll take you out in it. So Jesus got into Peter's boat and he sat there and he taught the people from sitting in the boat on the sea. But of course, siesta time came. People started dropping off. It's very hot. And Jesus felt the time had finished with his teaching. And he said to Simon, he said, why don't we just go fishing now? And Simon's looking at him like, what kind of guy are you? You know, we, and he says to him, you know, we've been fishing all night, and night's when we normally do the fishing stuff. Um, I'll take the boat out. So he took the boat out, and he took a couple of fishermen with him. He wasn't expecting much. When they get out into deep water, Jesus says, let down the nets. He's now thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to happen so anyway, he thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. 
didn't get any fish in the night when you normally go fishing. So he did what Jesus said and threw the nets over. Suddenly, it seemed like every fish in the lake got into that net. The net got so heavy that it was really hard to to pull and it was beginning to break. Simon has to shout with a loud voice to his mate still on the shore, James, John, come give us a hand because now the boat's beginning to sink with all the weight of the fish. So they come, give them a hand and they lug back what is pretty well two weeks worth of fish in one go. Simon Peter was absolutely gobsmacked, but it touched a place in his heart. He found himself kneeling on the floor in front of Jesus, and he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve this. There was no way we could have got those fish in normal conditions. I don't get it. You're something different. Go away from me, Lord. I'm not worthy of you. But Jesus turns and he looks at him and he says, I know what you are, Peter, Simon, Peter. I know what you are. I still want you on my team. From now on, we're gonna be fi- you're going to be fishing for people. And Simon is flabbergasted that Jesus chose him to be part of his team. It absolutely blew his mind what had happened. I felt like when I looked at that story, it was a kind of prophetic act. Because you see, three years down the line, Peter would be preaching his sermon and 3,000 people would come to know the Lord. But before that could happen, he had to get the message. It wasn't about him. He had a three-year journey to get ready for that day on the day of Pentecost where God would suddenly flood his kingdom with people. And he'd done it first with this fish incident. It was like Jesus was saying, all these fish will represent all the people you bring to me. If you just trust me, if you let me do what I need to do in your life. The story ends of the call of Peter with all the guys leaving their nets It says, after pulling their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. These were guys who had a business. These were guys who had families to support. And they just left because they saw something on Jesus that they wanted. Peter was quite an amazing guy, actually. Had a lot going for him. He was very bold, naturally, and he was very courageous. And in fact, the disciples kind of let him be the leader. If you look at all the lists of every time the names of the apostles come up in the Bible, it always says Peter's name first. And in Matthew's Gospel, it has it very, very specifically. It says, First, Simon, who is called Peter. And that word is Greek, in Greek is proton, and it means first in importance. And it means to be, it comes from a verb, proturo, which means to be first, preeminent, have the chief place. So Peter quickly became the kind of leader of the twelve. 
He was bold, he was courageous, he was slightly nutty, and he was the only one that had courage to get out of the boat on a stormy night and walk on the water. But he had a journey to go through, and that's a really interesting journey. If you have Bibles, just turn with me, please, to Matthew 16. If not, just listen, because I'm happy to read it. Matthew 16. I'm reading from the Passion at the moment. When Jesus, oh, from verse 13, yeah. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple this question. What are the people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do they believe that I am? They answered, well, some are convinced you're John the Baptizer. Others say you're Elijah, reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus says you. He's speaking to them in plural, you, as a group. Who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah. If you didn't discover this on your own, please note that phrase. (laughs) But my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. He then gave his disciples strict strict orders not to tell anyone that he was God's anointed one. Peter did really well in that moment. He got that revelation, but Jesus was keen to point out to him that actually... It was God that gave him that revelation. He said, you didn't discover it on your own. Peter had such a long lesson of learning that it wasn't all about him. And as soon as Jesus finished saying those things to him, he started to say that he would have to go to the cross. Let's read the next bit of the story. From then on, Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer injustice from the elders, leading priests and religious scholars. He also explained that he would be killed and three days later be raised to life. Peter took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, Master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen. After a few times, you can imagine Jesus is not so happy, but Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get out of my way, you Satan. You are an offense to me because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. How amazing! A man could be so inspired and so filled with the Spirit to get that revelation of who Jesus was in one moment. And then in the next moment, he's telling Jesus what to do or not to do. 
The thought of the cross, the thought of the cross is offensive to Peter. He doesn't like the idea of Jesus dying. It's not a popular idea. But Jesus goes on and he said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. This is key to understanding Peter. Peter thought that leadership was about being someone special, about being important and powerful, strong and invincible. Jesus had to show him another way. He had to show him the way of the cross. He had to show him that in the kingdom of God, the only way up is down. It's about laying your life down, denying self, that huge obstacle to our holiness, and being prepared to do anything for God, no matter what it cost. It's clear that Peter didn't get it even then. Neither did the other disciples. Sadly, we find that just after they've had the bread and the wine and Jesus has said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Almost the next sentence in Luke's gospel says that apparently, suddenly, a a dispute broke out amongst them about which of them was the greatest. There is a cross at the heart of the gospel. And it's not a neat, sanded, carved, beautiful thing, smooth, varnished. It's a cross that is stained with sweat and with blood. And that is at the heart of our gospel. It's not an easy thing. Jesus himself modeled what it was like to live in that place where God was always first and his own desires were not, he didn't count his own desires. He didn't think about them. He said so many things. He said that he hadn't come down to earth to do his own will, but the will of the Father. He said that he can't do anything by himself, that he was looking only to please the Father and not himself. He wasn't looking for fame or popularity or money. He wasn't looking for anything. He wanted to come and serve and give his life, not to be served. And we can read these things and we can think, yeah, that's good. That's what I want to do. I want to give God my whole life. I want to let him choose and decide for me. But even if we really, really want to do that, and even if we set our hearts on it, do you know what? You can't. 
We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. Paul expressed his frustration in Romans 7, where he says, you know, I'm trying to do the good, and I can't do it. But the bad thing I really don't want to do, I end up doing. In ourselves, we can't live for anyone but ourselves. But God shows us a better way. God shows us how he can bring us to that place if we just let him of saying, Jesus, have it all, be everything in my life. Peter thought he was better than he was. He thought that his self-effort would enable him to achieve the goal of standing by Jesus no matter what. Jesus saw that self bit had to go. He knew Peter couldn't do it. He said to him, Peter, before the cock crows three times tonight, you'll have said you don't know me. But Peter said, I'll do anything for you, God. Do anything for you, Jesus. I'll lay my life down. I'm going to be there for you. Even if all these other 11 run away and leave you, I'll be there. I will. I'll be there. Dear Peter, he had to find out that everything Jesus said was true about him. He really couldn't do anything without Jesus. Try as he might, he couldn't. Jesus said to him when he said, I'm going to follow you, whatever. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. And I think it's interesting. He doesn't use the name Peter, rock, at that point. He says, Satan has asked to sift you, and the you is plural, so he meant all of the, all of the 12, as wheat. All the disciples were going to come under pressure when Jesus went to the cross. Their faith was going to be put to the test. But Jesus went on to say to, to Peter, calling him Simon, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you come back to me, you will strengthen your brethren. He didn't pray that Peter wouldn't fail. He knew he would. He said, the thing is, hang on to your faith, Peter. Hang on to your faith, and you will end up encouraging your brothers in the Lord. That test, the test of Peter that when Jesus went to the cross, was crucial in his life. It was that test which would put, bring him to the absolute end of himself. Otherwise, he'd have just gone on doing everything in his own strength, and there was a ceiling to what we can do in our own strength. Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. We don't relish our trials, do we? I know I don't. I find them tough. It's tough when pressure is put on us, when we're squeezed. But each trial is meant to make us stronger by showing how weak we are in our own strength and bringing us to that place where we lean on God and let him do everything. Peter needed to go through his trial. He needed to come to an end of himself once and for all. Peter was devastated when he heard that cock crow and he just realized 
that three times he has said, I don't even know him. I don't know that guy, but you were with him. Your accent, that gives you away. I don't know the man. Three times. This man who has such enormous resolve and enormous courage and guts and determination, put under pressure what comes out. Save your own skin, Peter. You don't know what they'll do to you if they find out you're his follower. He went outside and wept bitterly. He was so disappointed in himself. He had discovered that he really wasn't all that. That in spite of his determination, he couldn't actually even say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. He could have been crushed. He could have been devastated. But God won't allow that. Because after the death, there is always resurrection. After we come to an end of what we can do in ourselves, God allows his power and his glory, his resurrection power to come into us and do all that we couldn't do on our own. Jesus had to reinforce to Peter that he still wanted him as his follower. We read this amazing story in John 21 after Jesus has raised from the dead. And it's amazing because it's almost a throwback. It reminds Peter of what happened in Luke 5 when he had that miraculous catch of fish the first time. It reminds him because... Peter just doesn't know what to do with himself. So he says, right, guys, we'll go fishing. I'm going fishing. Anyone want to come? The guys went with him, and they fished all night. And what did they catch? Nothing. Not one fish. They see this guy on the shore, and he's shouting out to them, throw the nets on the starboard side. They're going, but we've done all you know we've done the fishing thing it's not working but suddenly something starts to spark okay we've nothing to lose chuck the nets over for one last time a massive haul of fish again a massive haul of fish peter suddenly twigs it's jesus and he starts to get in the water and get along to see jesus as quickly as he could jesus has lit a barbecue He started to put some fish on it, but he uses some of theirs as well as they land with this huge haul of fish. And they have a great barbecue. And they're they're having a wonderful time. But then he starts to talk to Peter. And he speaks to him up close and personal. He says, Peter, do you really love me? And he uses that word that is so challenging. He uses the agape word. The word that talks about that love that just sacrifices and gives and doesn't think at all about what it gets back in return. So he says to Peter, Peter, actually, sorry, I'm misquoting this. He actually starts calling him Simon again, which I think is, again, relevant. It's like he's taking the pressure off him. You don't have to be a rock. I'm talking to you now, Simon, just as you, man to man. 
do you love me with that self-sacrificing love that gives everything? Now you think back to how Peter was and you think, yeah, you go, yeah, 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 of course I do. I love you with that kind of special love. Of course I do. But Peter starts to get real for once. And his reply is, Jesus, I've got great affection and friendship for you. If you look in the Greek, different word, phileo, friendship, comradeship. And Jesus doesn't say, I want to know, would you lay your life down for me? He doesn't say that. He says, feed my lambs. It's like he's reinstating him. And then a bit later, Jesus says to him again, using that same agape word, Peter, do you love me with that self-sacrificing love that gives everything? Peter's feeling uncomfortable now, but he still can't lie. So impressive. He says to Jesus, but you know, I do love you, but it's with this affection and friendship. I don't think I can do the agape stuff. And Jesus again speaks to him and he says, shepherd my sheep. It's like he won't stop. He won't say, that isn't good enough, Peter. That isn't good enough, agape or nothing. He says, look after my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. And the third time, Jesus comes to him and do you know what he says this time? He says, Peter... Do you have deep affection for me? He comes to him where Peter's at. Do you get that? He can't do the agape stuff anymore. He's honest about it. And he says, Peter, do you have great affection for me? Do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I've got deep affection for you. It's all I can manage. This makes me nearly cry because I'm so touched by the fact that Jesus comes to us just as we are, just where we're at. You might sit here this morning, you think, I can't do this sacrificing myself thing. I've got, you know, I've just, maybe you've just become a Christian or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and it all got tough and horrible and you got to a point where you wanted to, Chuck it in just because it was tough. Jesus comes to you as you are. And he says, just be who you are and give me what you've got. I'll help you. I'll work with you. I'll make you what you couldn't even dream you could be. How touching. There's no pressure doesn't call him Peter, calls him Simon. And I feel like this morning, it's like God comes to us just as we are. He knows what's in us better than we know ourselves. He knows what needs to happen in our lives to bring us to a place where we come to an end of ourselves so that he can use us. And all he asks is we just stick with him and surrender to his work in our lives. He, he will do it all. But we have to let him. 
We have to work with him. And when trials come and pressures come on us, it's because God is wanting to bring out something better in us. So Peter worked through all this. And on the day of Pentecost, there he was, set free by the Spirit of God, preaches a sermon, 3,000 come to the Lord, and he never once says, didn't I do good? He knew it was Jesus. He knew it was the power of the Spirit. He wasn't anything anymore. He'd come to the end of himself. We have a choice in our Christian walk. We can be a Christian or we can be a disciple. God is not going to beat us up if we just stop with the one. Being a Christian is free. We just receive God's gift of, of life in us. We connect with Jesus. We receive. We're one with him. We know when we die, we'll go to, be heaven. We'll go to heaven. But maybe there's some of us who want more than that. Maybe there's some of us this morning that want to be a disciple. I want to follow Jesus in the way of the cross and the resurrection. Maybe there's some of us who will say, I'm willing, God. Will you help me where I'm weak? I want to work with you. I want to be different. But just help me, Lord. We have a choice. I've been reading this amazing book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it was, it's called The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship, sorry. And he says, a couple of quotes from him, I could give you loads, but he says, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And he also says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die die to himself, die to his own dreams, his own hopes and aspirations. Smith Wigglesworth also said some really challenging stuff. He said, you must cease to be. He said, when we come to the end of ourselves, God can begin to take control. We cannot enter into the profound truths of God until we relinquish control. The glory is never so wonderful as when we realize our own helplessness, throw down the sword, and surrender our authority to God. God has a plan beyond anything we have ever known. He has a plan for every individual life. Tomorrow should be so filled with holy expectations that we will be living flames for him. God never intended his people to be ordinary or commonplace. His intentions were that they should be on fire for him, conscious of his divine power, realizing, I love this phrase, the glory of the cross that foreshadows the crown. It's, we can be, oh, we can be like Jesus, but we have to let go of ourselves what we want. We have to let go if we want to be a disciple. We can be a Christian. God won't love you any less. But don't you want more? I do. I want more. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 1, Beloved friends, 
What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices. I believe that we've all got dreams in our hearts, and some of those dreams have really been put there by God. I believe that deep down in Peter was that dream to be amazing. He always wanted to be amazing. But it wasn't until he gave up his own way of being amazing that God could make him really amazing. I believe that there are people here and you've had this dream and you thought, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. It's just beyond me. Will you just give yourself to God and just let him do what he needs to do in you so that you can be amazing? God wants to. He wants to take us further than we've ever been before. He wants to fill us with his spirit and just help us to live in the light of his presence so that all the stuff we think we want will just seem like rubbish. All our career expectations, nothing compared to what God wants. All our aspirations to have a good good salary and a pension and nothing compared to walking with God. Or we might want to look amazing. Don't be, don't be deceived. The enemy wants us to work on things that have no lasting benefit. It's not about what we look like. It's not about how clever we are, what degrees we've got, what kind of person we are, what you know, we've got, all of us have got something. But give it to Jesus. Let it go and see what he wants to do with your life. I think we're on the beginning of an exciting journey with God where he takes us step by step and reveals more and more of his plans and his all his good plans for all of us. So will you just say yes this morning to God's work in, in your life? Just stand with me, would you? Father God, we just thank you that you come to that place just don't need to have amazing stuff. God, you just want to just take us to that place where we're 100% just offered to you, God, as living sacrifices. Lord, that you help us to say yes, yes, yes to everything you do in our lives, even when it hurts, even when we feel squished and squashed and pulled and jostled, Lord, let us say yes to you stripping away the things that don't matter so that the things that do matter will take pride of place in our lives. God, will you do a work in all our lives that you would help us, Lord, and set us free from ourselves, from our egos, from our our 
hopes and aspirations that are not actually God-ordained. Lord, would you do your work in us this morning, we pray. I thank you, Lord, that you, you accept us as, as we are, but you love us too much to leave us in that state. Lord, that you have bigger things for each and every one of us than we could imagine in our own minds. Thank you, God, for all your work in us. Thank you, Lord, for what you did in Peter. Thank you, Lord, that you helped him to get to that place where he could just, he was so filled with you, God, that he just walked down the street and people would get healed. Lord, may we at some point enter that place, we pray in Jesus' name. May we live for your glory, not for our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.